Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. Because Today we start our brand new series titled Redemption. Okay, and the vision behind this series is to show you the disciples' journey, who they were before Christ, and how when they met Jesus, listen to me, their whole life was completely transformed. Who they were was changed, and God gave them a brand new identity. Because before Jesus, they had their own reputations, okay? Let me say it like this. Some of the disciples before Jesus, one was known as very hot-headed, okay? Maybe you can relate to that. You have a hard time controlling your mouth or your emotions, and sometimes your anger gets the best of you. There's another disciple also within the Jewish community that was considered to be a thief and a traitor to everybody. Nobody wanted to be around him. He was an outcast. And there's also a disciple that, according to the word of God, was demon-possessed. God freed this person, and not only that, but there are many speculations that this person was also a prostitute. And so what I love about this series is it shows you that Jesus took these ordinary people who already had these reputations from the world, and he transformed them. You understand how powerful that is? He completely transformed them, gave them a brand new identity, and what I want to share with you today is that Jesus can give you a new identity as well. When we come to Christ, there is redemption. Our lives are completely changed, and he gives us a brand new identity, all by answering one question. Jesus asked us, will you follow me? Listen to this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, control your own way. Do your own thing, make a planner, make sure everything goes according to plan. No, what did he say? You must give up your own way. You need to take up your cross. You need to follow me because if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to take control, you will notice nothing is in your control, okay? And if you're living for yourself, you will be dissatisfied because you were created to live for God, to know God intimately. And then Jesus said this. He says, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will what? You will save it. Meaning eternal salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Eternal salvation is only by following Jesus. You can't achieve this on your own. It's only because of what Christ did upon the cross. And this is good news. This is what this means. When you live for Christ, you live a life redeemed. When you live for Christ, you live a life redeemed. And this is only exciting, though, if you understand what this means. So you know me. I like to play on words. Let me ask you this question. What is the definition of redemption? Okay, just think about it, or you could write it down. What is the definition of redemption? When we come in here and we shout, hallelujah, you redeemed me, what does it actually mean? Well, the definition of redemption means this. It means that you have been saved and you have been rescued from your sins. You have been saved and you have been rescued from your sins. And the truth is, and I love this passage of scripture that I'm about to read to you, because the truth is so many of us today have fallen short to the golden standard of God, right? According to the law of Moses, how many things that we have broken. So no matter how good you look on the outside, 
No matter how well you pretend to have everything together, we all fall short to the standard. Now listen to me, including the disciples. Because a lot of times we put the disciples up on a pedestal. Well, they follow Jesus. They must have been perfect. I can never be like that. No, listen, we all fall short to the glory of God. And this is what Paul talks about. See if you can relate. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Listen to me. Just because you fell in the dirt does not mean Jesus can't pick you up and brush it off. Okay? So what that means is that you keep following Jesus. Even when you make a mistake, you get up and you follow Jesus. You never stop pursuing God and what he has for you because every day is a battle against your flesh. You understand? Because a lot of us feel guilty over that. We wake up and we're like, God, I'm not good enough because I constantly have these thoughts and these desires and I don't want to do these things. No, the Bible tells us that every day you wake up, you will have these thoughts. You will have these desires, but you're not controlled by these desires anymore because the spirit of God lives inside of you. And now you're able to live a brand new life and overcome these things. You're not who you used to be. You're not enslaved to the things that used to control you. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven. In him, we have what? Redemption. In Jesus, we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, meaning the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. So redemption means you have been forgiven. Listen to me. It also means you have been made brand new. You are no longer who you used to be. But I understand that a lot of us still have doubts. Some of us have a hard time believing this because in our mind, we are constantly thinking about our past mistakes, the things we've done wrong or the miracles that we're not seeing today. And if you're struggling with that, let me tell you, today's message is for you. The title of today's message is The Doubter. The Doubter. Do you struggle with doubt in believing what God has spoken over your life? Now, before I dive into the word, let me ask you this question. How many of you have a hard time believing what people say? Come on, just be honest. Have a hard time trusting people? When people tell you something, now you're kind of on guard, like, "Mm mm-hmm, did they really say that? Did it really go down like that? And I don't blame you, because in today's culture, it's really difficult to believe people. People lie. People hurt. And I have this conversation all the time. I want to say 2022 is probably the scariest time to be in a dating season, okay? Because you never know who you're really talking to, especially with social media. Somebody who has no teeth at all may have a perfectly white smile on social media. You don't know who you're talking to anymore until you actually show up and say, dear Lord, please help me. I don't know what I got myself into. It can be very difficult to trust people. And we've talked about relationships. And I told you that the Bible warns us, you know, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't just trust everybody that comes into your life and and brings you flattery and all these things. Like, guard your heart because this will direct the course of your life for the rest of your life. People can hurt you. It can be hard to trust people. But now, if it's unhealthy in your life, let me ask you this question. Are you also on guard with God because of the way people have treated you? 
Are you on guard with God? Are you constantly finding yourself saying no to God because somewhere you stopped believing that things could change? You started believing your doubts. And you started doubting God. No, God, this is not going to happen. It's never going to take place for me. I just don't want to try anymore. And I hear the comments. I see people talking. And sometimes I laugh at these because people will say, you know what? These pastors are always talking about being blessed, right? Being blessed. God, where's my possessions? Where's my blessings? I'm not seeing any of this. So let me make it very clear. Because maybe you were taught wrong. But living a blessed life has nothing to do with the possessions that you own, okay? Living a blessed life, being blessed by God, has nothing to do with all the possessions you can own from this world. It has everything to do with trusting God. I'm going to show you according to his word. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. But blessed are those who trust the Lord. And I made the Lord their hope and their confidence. I love this scripture. Listen to this. For they are like trees planted along a river bank with roots so deep in the water that these trees are not bothered by the heat. No matter how difficult it may be or how hot my situation is, I'm rooted by the word of God. Or worries. There's no worries. Even over long months of drought, even through drought, their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Hallelujah. You understand this text, what it means to be blessed? So what does it mean to actually live a blessed life, to be blessed? It means to trust God. Always. Let me say it like this. You're too blessed to be stressed. Okay? Do me a favor. Look to somebody next to you and tell them that. Too blessed to be stressed. Some of y'all are like, that's because you came here with me, you know. (laughs) Blessed today. Um, And that may be cheesy, whatever. But at least you're going to remember, too blessed to be stressed. And it means no matter what my life looks like right now, God's in control. I don't see the miracle yet, but God is still in control. Because I'm rooted, right? And and everybody's withering away and everybody's scared and and worried and all these things. I'm still rooted in the word of God. And I know my God shows up because he already has. And he will keep showing up. He will never leave me behind. But here is an aha moment for you today. And I would love for you to write this down because this is big. If trusting God is being blessed, then doubting God is being cursed. You understand? If trusting God is being blessed, then doubting God is to be cursed. Why? Because this creates the curse of anxiety and stress upon the mind. Constant battle in your head. Are things going to be okay? Am I going to make it? Will God work something out? And this stress, listen to me, will always wage war with the peace of God. There is peace by the Holy Spirit living inside of us when we trust God. But when you allow doubt into your life and you believe this doubt, it wages war in your soul to still trust God in your situation, right? And a lot of us, and and this is why James chapter 1 verse 6 says, be careful of this. It says, for the one who doubts, it's like the wave of the sea that is what? That is driven and tossed by the wind, meaning you're going back and forth, 
back and forth. Let me, let me say it like this. On one day, on Monday, God, I trust you. You're so good. Tuesday, God, I don't think you're in this situation anymore. I don't know where you are. Then the next day, okay, God, it's going to happen. The miracle's going to happen. Everything's good. On this day, God, I don't know where you're at, right? How ridiculous is that? Yeah, that's how we live. We come here on a Sunday morning. We shout hallelujah, amen. God's in control. He's in my situation. Thank you, Jesus. I love this church. And then Monday, we're griping. We're complaining about everything we have to do. What happened? Are we allowing our doubts to control us? Or are we moving by faith? Okay, because sometimes it can be easy in this situation to be moved by faith. But listen, faith is really seen and it's a powerful testimony out in real life at your workplace, in your family, when situations aren't ideal, but yet you still have faith that God is going to show up. Don't be driven and tossed by the wind. Be blessed and trust the Lord. But today I want to introduce you to one of my favorite disciples, actually, because studying this sermon um, and looking into the Word of God, I really relate to uh, the disciple Thomas's attitude. Okay, this dude has an attitude. You may, you may have not known that before because it's not really shown out of a lot of the Gospels. But in the Gospel of John, we see a few stories of Thomas like we've never seen before. And you may know Thomas as Doubting Thomas. So let me just give you a little bit of background about Thomas. First of all, he is one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. And he's also known as the twin because in Greek, his name means Didymus. In John chapter 11, verse 16, it says, Then Thomas, who was called Didymus, the twin, said to the disciples, let's go. And he's referred to that a few different times. So his name actually means that he was a twin. We're not really sure who his twin was, but we know that he was a twin. We also know that he was from Galilee. Um, he had no special upbringing. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't rich as far as we know. And it's believed that his occupation was that he was a fisherman. Because after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was seen fishing with Peter. So automatically we think, okay, a lot of them were fishermen. He was probably a fisherman too. There's nothing really special about his status. There's a lot special about his heart. See, God didn't care about his status. God cared about his obedience and his willingness to move even if he had an attitude, okay? And for some of you, that may bless you today because you may know, God, you deal with my attitude every day. And I'm thankful that you've never given up on me before. So here's what I wanna do. It's gonna be a fun journey. I'm gonna share three points about Thomas's attitude that you may be able to relate to today, okay? So point number one is this. Thomas was sarcastic. I see the eyes glaring like, oh, this, is, this is for you. Um, Thomas is sarcastic with Jesus. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and John, turn to John chapter 11. I'll be reading verses 7 and 8. But if you're here last week as we ended our Broken Heart series, I told you the story of Jesus healing Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus was his good friend. He had died. Mary and Martha was Lazarus' sisters. They had called out to Jesus. They were close to Jesus. They thought Jesus would show up on time, right? But God's timing is never our timing, amen, because God knows better. So he showed up in their eyes four days late. Mary and Martha are very aggravated with Jesus. How come you're here so late? Now the miracle can't happen. Don't ever tell God 
the miracle can't happen. You understand? Don't ever tell him the miracle can't happen. Just because it's not happening on your timing does not mean the miracle won't happen. In fact, I did not share this with you last week, but there were mystic Jews at this time that believed when somebody died, the spirit of that person would hover around the body for three days. That's actually what they believed. So it's interesting to me that Jesus raised them from the dead on the fourth day. This showed that he was truly the son of God, the Messiah, and that he can do anything that seemed impossible to the culture. All right, but Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, we need to go to Judea to be able to rise Lazarus from the dead. And a lot of people don't understand that the disciples weren't happy about this. They didn't like this idea. Let me show you why. John chapter 11, verse 7 and 8. Finally, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea where Lazarus was located. But his disciples objected. Uh, Rabbi, they said, um, just a few days ago, the people in Judea, well, they were, try, they, were, they were trying to stone you, all right? They were trying to kill you. Are you really going to go there again? So the disciples are talking like, hey, this is a death wish. <laughs> like Jesus is telling us to go back. Like we're all going to die. This is not a good idea. Jesus, I know he's your buddy and he's your friend, but maybe we should stay right here. I love Jesus's reply. And I have to be honest with you, if I was one of the disciples, I would have no clue what he's talking about, okay? Because it sounds like it's from left field, but it's really powerful if you understand what Jesus said next. So they're, they're worried, okay, Jesus, we can't go. They try to kill you. Here's Jesus' reply in verse 9 and 10. Jesus replied, well, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. I could already see me being like, why are we talking about the daytime? We're talking about going to Judea, you know, to rise Lazarus from the dead. What is Jesus saying? What is he stating? Jesus is making it very, very clear. He's saying, I am the light. I am the light. And he's telling the disciples, listen, this is my father's will to perform this miracle despite the opposition ahead of me. Here's why, okay? Don't miss this. Jesus knew that this miracle would be one of the biggest signs to show and prove that he truly is the Messiah and the son of God in front of everybody. But what if he didn't go because it was scary? What if he didn't make that move because of the opposition ahead of him? Let me tell you like this, okay? You ready? Do not focus on the opposition ahead of you, but focus on the miracle that is coming. Do not focus on the opposition, okay? The comments, what people say, you're never going to make it. It's never going to change. It's never going to happen. Because when you focus on the opposition, guess what? That's all you're hearing, you understand? Like, that's all that's going through your mind. You're constantly replaying what they said about you. And then you start to believe what they said about you, so you will never try. But what happens when you focus on the miracle? God, I know it doesn't make sense, but your word tells me it doesn't have to. I know I can't do it on my own strength, 
But there are many disciples, there are many people in this Bible, Father, who had nothing, and you took them so far to perform all these miracles. God, I know what you have. I will focus on your word and the miracle, and I do not care about the opposition ahead of me. Because guess what? Newsflash, if you make a big impact for the kingdom of God, you will also make big enemies. Have you noticed that in your own life? Your friends you used to hang out with, now you don't do that. And you're, you're all about Jesus and they don't like that. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you how you used to be? You used to be fun. Now you used to be dead. I used to be dead. I was pretending, completely pretending that I was okay and I was never okay. I was dying on the inside and I put that smile on to cover it all up. But today this smile, it's real because of Jesus Christ. Don't be scared of the opposition in front of you and remember the word of God. But what about Thomas, right? We're talking about Thomas. He's the the glass half empty kind of guy. He never sees the best out of the situation. And if you read the story, it gets funnier to me because Jesus also tells the disciples, he goes, hey, Lazarus is asleep. And the Bible says they don't understand (laughs) They're probably like, why is he asleep now? Like, what's going on? So the Bible says, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, clearly, he's dead, and I'm going to go raise him from the dead. Well, then Thomas pops up, and this is what he says. Out of John chapter 11, verse 16, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, Scholars debate exactly what he meant by this because some say, well, he was trying to be noble and talking about Jesus. But either way, it's kind of more sarcastic to me. Even going with Jesus, it's like, let's go with Jesus and die, okay? You know? But there are some scholars that believe he's not talking about Jesus at all. They think he's actually talking about Lazarus, saying, okay, let's follow Jesus and be dead like Lazarus. So either way, he's bringing out his sarcasm at the same time. And this is what I love, how God just shows us grace all the time, even with our attitudes. He's still willing to follow Jesus to his death. He's still willing to go, even though he doesn't understand yet the miracle that's about to happen. Let me encourage you today. Keep following Christ, even if you don't understand the miracle that's about to come. Okay? So Jesus dealt with his attitude. He was possibly very sarcastic. And if you know somebody that's sarcastic, it can be difficult sometimes to tell them good news. Why? Because they're always punching jabs at you. Those negative comments. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I married that person. Pray for me. Okay? And I get it. There are people that say, you know what, Pastor, but I just, I've been hurt so bad. I would rather look at the bad side and not be let down again. That means you're living, believing in hurt. You're constantly believing in pain. You're constantly believing in the worst instead of the miracle. Let me, let me ask you like this. What does God want you to believe? What does God want you to believe? Does he always want you to see the worst or does he want you to see his best? Okay? Because Moses didn't convince the people of, of Israel to leave Egypt by telling them, hey, there's a lot of bad things ahead of us. Let's just focus on not having the food we want, not getting to where we want to go. No, he told them there's a promise. And in everything that you go through today, that promise still stands. 
So maybe that's you today and you struggle seeing the best. So start seeing God's best out of this situation so that it can change your perspective. Thomas was sarcastic. Point number two is this. Thomas questioned Jesus. Thomas had questions, all right? And I, and I realized too with believers, it's funny because there are two characteristics. Some of us have the character where we're like, yes, God, you're gonna do it. Amen, hallelujah. What'd you just read? I don't really know, but God's gonna do it, you know, because I trust and believe God. But there are also believers that trust God, believe God, but they just have a lot of questions. I just need some clarity in my life, Lord. Is it okay for me to ask you questions like what does real faith look like? How do I know I'm being faithful and not irresponsible, God? What, what does that actually mean? How did a donkey talk out of the Bible, God? Like, how did these things happen? And how in the world did Jacob get so confused he married the wrong woman? Because I don't want to make that mistake, you know? <laughs> you have questions. You need clarity. So let me ask you this. Is it wrong to ask God questions? No. There's a difference between asking God for questions for clarity and then questioning God's character, Okay. If you're just asking questions to bring clarity into your life to help strengthen your faith, that is a good thing. Jesus tells us to ask, to seek his will. And if there's something you don't understand, then be in his presence and he will always bring the answer at the right time. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. It is okay to ask God questions and receive that clarity. And we see this example at a John chapter 14. So in John chapter 14, verses one through four, it's, it's a powerful scripture because I love it. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. And they don't really understand yet, but Jesus is telling them, listen, I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you, and I'm going to lead you into my kingdom. There's plenty of room. There's a lot of blessings for you. It's going to be great. And I imagine all the disciples are like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I've been waiting for. And then Thomas pops up, and he, and he, he asks that question that makes everything kind of awkward. So let me read this to you. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. Verse three. When everything is ready, Jesus said, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And I love this. He said, you know the way to where I'm going. Verse five, Thomas says, no, we don't know. <laughs> Literally, Jesus said, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas is like, no, mm -mm. I don't know if anybody else is raising their hand. I have no clue, Lord, where you're going. In fact, I don't even know what you mean when you say the way, okay? So Jesus, how do we know where we're going? How do we know to get into the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> you ever known somebody that just doesn't have a filter over their mouth? like kind of socially awkward and just says things that are like, yeah, it's not the time right now. I imagine the disciples looking at Thomas being like, <clears throat> Shh, quiet, tell me about kingdom of heaven. Come on, get excited. Thomas was asking the same question we ask. How do I accomplish this? And Jesus' reply meant you can't. 
you can't accomplish this. You can only receive. In fact, you don't know the way. So I will come to you exactly where you are. When you were broken, when you felt that nobody cared, when you felt you had no future and there was no hope in your situation and you financially didn't know how to get through this or who would be there for you, Jesus will meet you exactly where you are and show you the way. In everything that you're facing, in everything that you're going through, he will guide you and lead you, meaning that you were never, ever alone. In fact, here's what I love about this, is that before believers were known as Christians, you know what they were called? The people of the way. Before they were known as Christians, they were called the people of the way. The way is Jesus Christ. I love this. Salvation is not a process. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's by only believing in Jesus and following him. He shows us the way to new life, to be restored, to be redeemed into the kingdom of heaven. And maybe today you feel stuck in this. Or maybe you feel like there's doubts in your head because of where you've been or what you've done. But I'm telling you today, Jesus will meet you exactly where you are, and he will always show you the way. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Did Jesus rebuke Thomas? No. He gave him clarity. It was okay for Thomas to ask the question because it brought him closer to the answer, even though he didn't fully understand yet what Jesus was about to do. So what do we see with Thomas? He was sarcastic. He also questioned God. But the third point is this. Thomas doubted Jesus. Thomas struggled with his doubt. Let me ask you this question, is doubt a sin? I'll say it like this. You can't help but to face doubt. In every good situation of your life, anything good going for you, it could be your job, it could be a relationship, okay? It could be a new opportunity. You will always struggle and have to face doubt. So you can't help doubt attacking your mind, but your response to that doubt will either lead you towards sin or towards freedom. Meaning, you can believe your doubt or you can believe the word of God. You can believe what God is speaking over your situation or you constantly are giving in to the doubt in your mind. God, this is never going to work out. Nothing's ever going to happen. There's no way you could perform a miracle like this in my situation. The marriage is dead. The relationship is dead. My friendships are dead. Everything's dead. You can't bring it back to life. And the reason why I bring sin into our life, because when you believe this, you reject God's promise. You reject God's healing. You walk your own way. When you reject God's direction, remember, you reject his protection. And so a lot of times we're hurt because we're believing in our doubt instead of the promises of God. But if you struggle with this, know this. Thomas also did this as well. And he was there with Jesus. Isn't it crazy? Like he saw the miracles. He saw everything that Jesus had done, yet he still had this doubt in his mind. He still wasn't fully convinced. And so scholars believe because he wasn't there when the disciples first saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. 
And they believe he probably separated himself because he didn't want to be around people because he was negative, okay? He was doubtful. He was sarcastic. He didn't want to be around them. So he missed it and did not see Jesus when they saw Jesus. So when he goes back to his close friends, he can't even believe his close friends. You understand, like, that's how far gone he he is because of what he saw. Again, don't let what you see determine the miracle that God wants to do in your life. You understand? This is powerful stuff. But this is what he said, John chapter 20, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, they said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. Listen to his words. I will never believe. The words of Thomas. Why? Listen to me. Because Thomas's belief came with conditions. It came with conditions. God, you have to meet my needs. You have to do things in a way that I thought or think you should do them because what did the Jews believe? They thought Jesus' first time here on earth, he would be a king. They thought when he came, he would rescue them from the bondage that they were under, that he would be that glorious king and he didn't meet their earthly expectations right away. So there was still doubt in Thomas's mind. I've seen so many miracles, but I just can't wrap my my head around this. How can this be possible? For me, And the thing that he said, he said, unless I place my finger into the mark of his nails and place my hand on his side, I will never believe. Do you understand that that one statement right there is the reason we still call him today Doubting Thomas? What he spoke in that moment of doubt has stayed with him to this day. But here's some good news. And here's what's beautiful about the idea of redemption and what Jesus brings us is that your past no longer defines who you are. You hear me? Like your past no longer defines who you are. You have been freed and you have been rescued from your sins. Do not let what other people think about you or what other people say about you stop you from believing in change for your life. Because that change is not up to them and what they think. That change is up to you and God and following God's will for your life. God, I believe in what you have for me. And I know I've made many mistakes. I know I've made terrible decisions and I've doubted you. But today I believe and it will change my future. Because your past cannot determine your future anymore, only your present. And in your present, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Here's the struggle I see with a lot of believers. You've given your life to Christ today, but your mind is still in the past. Your mind is still caught up in all those negative thoughts. The many times somebody that you loved left you or called you a failure and said you will never be good enough. And even though Jesus has come to redeem you and restore you, your mind is still in the past. You need to be set free from that. You are not who you used to be. You are not who you used to be. Jesus has forgiven you. And knowing that truth, listen to me, you also have to forgive yourself. 
That is the first step to redemption, to being restored, knowing that Jesus has forgiven you and that you also have forgiven yourself. Because I see it, like it's heavy on some people. They come into the church and they say, hi, my name is, and you can just see it on them. Like their identity is still in their past, the hurt and the struggle. No, you've been made brand new. Jesus, with Jesus, there's victory now in our life. You're not who you used to be. That's not who you are. Jesus has rescued you from that. But we see Thomas doubting God, questioning God, being sarcastic with God. So how do we see redemption? If you're struggling with these areas in your own life, how do we see redemption? How do we see a change? So for the remainder of the sermon, I want to share two points with you to help you know that you are redeemed and to live a life restored, okay? And the first point is this, believing in the resurrection of Christ brings you new life. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ will bring you new life because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is crucial to our belief. You understand? Like if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then he would not be the son of God and we would not have been forgiven of our sins. So here's what I love about the story because the Bible tells us that God can take anything bad and make it good. So we look at Thomas and we say, Thomas, you're doubting. Why are you such a doubter? You've seen so many miracles. This is bad, but God changed it for the good. He said, you know what? There's one disciple that the world's gonna know about who doubted everything, and that person's gonna completely believe and risk their life for me because they saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You understand? Like doubting Thomas would never have done that. So he must have seen something that gave him a revelation and changed his life. What did he see? He saw Jesus Christ, the one who doubted everything, the one who was constantly negative, the one who struggled in his faith. Jesus showed up to him and he risked his life after that. John chapter 20, verse 26 through 28. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them and he said, peace be with you. And I love this. He said to Thomas, see, he already knew. He already knew what he said. He already knew what he needed. He said, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Now listen to this. Pay attention. Jesus told him, don't be faithless any longer. Don't be faithless any longer. You need to believe. For some of you, that's you today. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. And doubting Thomas traded everything in this moment. He gave everything over, all of his doubts. He chose to believe the Lord. What did he say next? My Lord and my God. At that moment, don't miss it. He gave Jesus his doubt. And he said, I would no longer allow my doubt to overcome me and my situations. I believe, I know, and I'm lucky enough to touch you today. You have shown me grace. And Jesus said, Jesus said blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. Blessed are those who believe in what I've done, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We don't see to believe, we believe to see. You understand? Like, this is powerful stuff. And at this moment, he traded in all of his doubt. 
And it's believed that he died in India spreading the gospel by a Hindu priest that killed him. Again, doubtful Thomas would have never done that before, but faithful Thomas was willing to take it as far as it should go because he no longer doubted. And maybe you're struggling with that, but be in the presence of Jesus. And when you feel him, and when you hear him speak to you, how can you doubt him anymore? When he's led you here and he's gotten you through so many things that you thought was gonna be your end, he's not giving up on you. And I'm asking you today, don't give up on him. Believe and be faithless no more. My belief in what God is about to do will always overcome my doubts. My doubts no longer control me in my situation. And my last point is this. Wait on the Holy Spirit's direction. See, this is crucial to seeing the right change in your lives. Because what do we do? We come to Jesus. We're excited. Thank you, God. You met me exactly where I am. I've been broken. You restored me. You redeemed me. I'm ready to go. And what does God say a lot of times? Nope. Okay. Maybe really soon, because I'm ready to go, God. I'm ready to see a change in my life. All right, let's go down. Nope. We try to trick the Lord. We're like, you know what? <laughs> Juke. Oh, sorry, I'm having too much fun. Thomas completely changed. He hands in his doubt. He believes in the resurrection. He now becomes one of the most faithful men we've ever seen to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's ready. He's excited. But the first thing Jesus tells him and the rest of the disciples is to wait. For Jesus was preparing them, listen, I'm going back to be at the right hand of the Father, but the Spirit of God is gonna come upon you. And when the Spirit of God is living inside of you, there will be power. You will not be yourself. Because right now you're controlled by your flesh, controlled by your desires. But when the Spirit of God is living inside of you, the Spirit fights the flesh. And you will hear my voice, meaning you are never ever alone in your situation. And I can use you no matter what you've been through, no matter where you come from. I've given you a new identity and I live in you today. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria at the ends of the earth, everywhere. Notice what Jesus said. On that day, everybody will hear my gospel. And so I started to think about it because the disciples, we know that they went to the upper room and they didn't know how long they had to wait. So imagine the awkwardness. All right, we've seen a lot. He was dead and he raised from the grave. That was cool. Thomas didn't believe, now he does, it's awesome. What do we do? What's the direction? And I believe that Jesus was preparing them to learn how to overcome their doubt. Because no matter how many miracles you've seen, 
or the power of God that you've encountered in your life, there's always gonna be a new situation you're gonna have to overcome. And he's teaching them to trust. But again, Jesus said on that day, everybody will hear. God's timing is always better. It's always better. So here, here it comes down. Jesus was crucified on the day of the Passover, which is the slaughtering of the lamb. He was crucified on the Passover. And then the Bible tells us out of the book of Acts that Jesus was also seen for 40 days after his resurrection. Seen by many witnesses, by the disciples, by other people for 40 days. Then Jesus says, hey, go and wait. They wait for 10 more days, 50 days. 50 days from the Passover would be the day of Pentecost. So God is not only fulfilling his feast on the day at the exact time, at the moment, but God also said, Jesus told them, listen, when it's time, when the Holy Spirit empowers you, everybody will hear. They can't control that on their own. But what took place? One authority said that at the feast of the Passover and Pentecost, over 100,000 Jews would travel just to celebrate on that day. So in this moment, they're all waiting. God brings all the people, all of them, from where they've been scattered, the different languages that they spoke. And we even know this, and it's even speculated that Mary was with them as well, because according to the word in the upper room, it wasn't just the 12, possibly 120. Acts chapter one, verse 15. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. And then on the day of Pentecost, they've been waiting. Lord, what do you have? I, I believe. I still trust. I'm overcoming my doubt. I'm not seeing it today, but maybe tomorrow. And at this exact moment, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared. And everyone present, filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in tongues, began speaking in other languages. And all these people, possibly all, over 100,000 people around them, started hearing. Hey, you hear that? Yeah. You're speaking my language. You're speaking. How do they know this? Because they're just ignorant men. They're fishermen. They're not educated. They shouldn't know all these languages. The Bible says they were able to speak everything. Acts chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. God taught them from the very beginning of the ministry, overcome your doubt. It may not happen in your timing, but my timing is perfect. And on that day, the ministry, the church, my kingdom will explode and people will give their life to me and they will know the way. They will know a new life. They will no longer walk defeated or discouraged in what they've been in because I've given them a brand new identity. Come on. I'm gonna have you stand right here. One of the biggest lessons they could have learned from the beginning was how to trust God and how to wait on God. Thomas had to learn how to overcome his doubt to do what he needed to do. That was the will of the Father. He no longer cared about the opposition. 
He stopped focusing on what people said. He stopped focusing on the negative situations and he started focusing on the miracle at hand. How long have you been focusing on the doubt and the problems? And maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it's your relationships or maybe you feel completely alone right now and you feel like nobody's there. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you're just unhappy with life and you're on this search for something to satisfy and you still haven't found it. And it's because you're believing your doubts and you're, you're chasing what your doubts are telling you to chase instead of what Jesus is telling you to chase. Jesus is showing up to you exactly where you are saying, don't you know, I am the way. Because what did Thomas realize? When Jesus came back for him, he finally understood really are the way you came back from me and now you're showing me where to go and the direction that I have for my life and here's what this means when you move ahead of God you move ahead of God's will for your life throw the doubt away it's gonna come it's gonna come but there is also victory in Jesus no matter what is being thrown at you and here's what I love you ready for this and I'm asking our pastoral care team to come up front at this moment, but listen to this. Just like Thomas, people are gonna look at your life and who you used to be and say, what, didn't they doubt? Didn't they used to do this? Didn't they used to go out and talk this way? But today, you seem new, you see changed. And the testimony I'm seeing from your life is strengthening my faith today. Somebody's faith is going to be increased because of the change that is happening in your life. So do not give up on that change. Do you understand? Jesus has made you brown new. But if you're facing your doubts and you're struggling with believing good in the situation you're in, can I ask you to come up front? Right now, right now. If you need to come up front and need somebody to pray over you, to overcome those doubts, to see a miracle happen in your life, then come up front, don't be afraid. This is why we're here together. This is why we rejoice. As they were in the upper room, they strengthened each other. Hey, don't give up today. Don't give up today, Jesus still spoke. It's gonna happen, it may not happen today, but it's gonna happen tomorrow. Redemption comes by the blood of Jesus. And it can save you in your situation, whatever it may be. You are not who you used to be. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.